Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market, a dynamic leader in the quality food business, a mission-driven company that aims to set the standards of excellence for food retailers. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. I'm Julia Tertian, host of Radio Cherry Bomb. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Episode 127 of The Morning After. I'm Jesse Kiefer. I'm Sarah Kamen. Sari, it's fall. It's still in the 60s. Thank you, global warming. Thank you. And it's cider time, people. Here in New York City, it is Cider Week. And joining us in studio is cider maker for Farnham Hill in Lebanon, New Hampshire, Nicole LeBon. We'll talk to her after the break. Later in the show, Nicole will have the multiple choice joy that is the morning after quiz. But first, Sari Kamen, you have some food news for us. I do. There's always so much food news to talk about. And I know we do devote a lot of our time talking about weird fast food things that happen in Asia. But, I mean, they just keep giving us things to talk about. So, you know, what am I supposed to do? Um, So this week we're looking at KFC Korea. Okay. The ever hilarious Korea. Which the K stands for Korea Fried Chicken? Um... Kentucky style <laughs> Korean fried chicken, exactly. And the town pres- of Ken- <laughs> go ahead, Nicole. I'm, I'm presuming we're talking about South Korea and not fried chicken in North Korea. You know, the article didn't specify, but I'm going to go ahead and say that's a safe bet. <laughs> um, you know, if they're not allowed to use the internet, I'm guessing they're not allowed to eat double down fried chicken sandwiches. Well, uh, you know, but you never know. He was missing for a while, so. Oh my god, that's a really good point. He might have been developing their new <laughs> original recipe. Zinger Double Down King, uh, which is actually a sandwich that is based on the KFC Americans Double Down. I don't know if you remember this, but it was like a fried chicken sandwich, and instead of buns, it was fried chicken. Like you know, how we have the ramen burger made with ramen buns, and but they they did it with fried chicken instead of bread. So wait, fried chicken bordered by fried chicken well this time it's actually a bacon cheeseburger but instead of bread it's fried chicken it's like two pieces of fried chicken that sandwich a bacon cheeseburger is this uh, is, this is this is not a thing it's a thing. a thing it's a it's thing a heart attack it's a heart attack <laughs> and and it worries me because it's like it's almost like korea's like oh well you guys did it kind of but like we're gonna one up you because I don't know. That feels like something that happens. Okay, I I understand. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Why wouldn't you want to one up us? Absolutely. Right. When we invented Kentucky Fried Chicken, you know, why yeah. wouldn't you want to one up? But I, I mean, I am I a traditionalist and just feeling like, okay, if you put pancakes on the outside of fried chicken or waffles, like at least that's bread. So that sounds like a sandwich. But yeah, like, I don't think they're so concerned about that. I think they just want to do it better, bigger, better. That's but, kind of what I just said. But chicken. On me, that's, that's no. Just, I mean, like, I'm just, I'm just concerned because, like, we're just make we're we're killing everybody, <laughs> is what I'm trying to say. And it's like we're giving them these ideas to run with, and it's like, well, now they're gonna eat it because they think it's cool or interesting or trendy. And it's like, you guys just stop. You're gonna die. Seriously. Well, so now the U.S. is gonna be blamed for Korean obesity, exactly. and we didn't even invent it. Yeah, I know. I know. Yes, <laughs> adding insult to injury. Exactly. All right. We, I do. I do have some good news for McDonald's. However, wow, we are on a, a riff here. <laughs> I know. Okay, so this this is coming from Deutschland. Oh, okay. perhaps. Da. 
nah, it's, uh, perhaps Amsterdam. So there was a, a conference, you guys may have read about this, um, of organic food was, I think, kind of the theme or healthy foods. So these two hilarious pranksters who um, run this Dutch video series called Life Hunters, they went to a McDonald's. They bought all the food, like all the chicken nuggets. They kind of cut it up and like repurposed it to look a little different. And then they presented it at this organic food conference. And they didn't say it was McDonald's. They were like, this is our new, like really healthy, like, chicken nugget style but really healthy food and everyone was trying it and there's this video and you can't understand a single word unless you happen to speak Dutch um, and everyone's like yeah yeah like like delicious and they said all these things about like you know it was you could definitely tell like how healthful it was and how fresh it was and a couple of people were like oh it's like a fine wine with a lot of good structure and like just said all of these things about you know like it's it's way better than fast food and you could totally taste the difference and meanwhile they were all eating mcdonald's so <laughs> so mcdonald's should, should feel pretty good i'm thinking <laughs> i'm thinking they were all stoned i don't know yeah maybe i mean it's that it's that like age old debate, you know, like if you give someone twenty dollar wine a bottle of wine, you're like, oh, it's a hundred dollar bottle of wine, they'll be like, mm, it's delicious. Like, it's like yeah, exactly. It's like a placebo effect. It's kind exactly of that. Yeah. I mean, didn't we touch on this recently about the uh, the gluten free people outside of the the Jimmy Fallon interview or something yes, like that? Yeah. Where they what they were Jimmy Fallon was outside of a gym and he was asking people if they're gluten free and they would be like oh yeah totally and then he'd be like so what is gluten and they were like muffins <laughs> <laughs> like no one knew what it was yeah that's, that's kind of what this sounds like it's kind of worse though i don't know it's bad it's really bad well how um, often do people in amsterdam eat mcdonald's that, i have that no could idea because i mean i think if i tasted some mcdonald's you know chicken nuggets i would be completely brought back to my childhood and i would know exactly maybe, what this is and i'd be like you, you are a think. fucking liar one wants to hope you would you would you would think but you never know when it's cut up in little pieces with toothpicks like how can you possibly recognize it <laughs> could be okay. cuisine okay and then lastly some some retribution this actually isn't funny sorry um this there was a family that went to uh denny's you know the my favorite restaurant, Denny's. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Where we're going right after the show. Mm-hmm. Um, so a, a cup of coffee was spilled on their baby, who was 14 months old. Oh, no. And she was burned. I, got, I mean, she's going to be fine. She's going to be fine, you guys. It's going to be fine. But um, so they are being compensated with $500,000 from Denny's. So, I mean, I, think- I mean, it's kind of a win-win situation. I mean, you know, she apparently has an itchy rash now, but she's going to be okay um, but the crazy thing is, is that the doctors do estimate it's the the cost of the burns, the medical cost, are going to be close to three hundred forty thousand dollars. So it's not real; it's barely going to compensate. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, that's no. I mean, they still have like a cool one hundred sixty thousand dollars in the bank. It's not too bad. I mean, nobody means to do that. Exactly, and but they blamed it on the server, saying, you know, the coffee was too close to the baby. So, that, I mean, that is the question. It's like, is it the server's responsibility? Is it the parent's responsibility? I mean, at the end of the day, there was, like, a cup of hot coffee sitting next to this baby. I mean, I say put the baby in a cage. and I um, Or maybe just, like, leave it at home. Yeah. No, Don't I mean, not really. Obviously, I've been a, a server for a long time, and I, uh, I have a similar story, Sari, and I, I don't know if I've shared this before. But um, it wasn't with a baby. Okay. But 
I it was my first serving job. I was working at Raw Sushi in Scottsdale, Arizona. I love and, that place. And um, it was lunch. And with every lunch bento box, you got a miso soup. And so I, you know, I put the miso soups together and I'm carrying it. And this is kind of some of my first times carrying anything on a tray. And I didn't really realize the weight distribution. And I, uh, I picked up one soup and then the other one fell uh-huh. onto a guest, onto their cast. Oh! And I actually said, me so sorry. Oh my God! <laughs> you did not! No one sued me and they laughed. So I gotta say, it's just because of my pretty face. I guess so. <laughs> and they were just so blown away by all that local Arizona sushi. Yeah, absolutely. Locally sourced um, rock and roll sushi. <laughs> Literally, I really did that, and um, I thank that person in the cast, and I'm sure their cast smelled for weeks. Oh my god, that's disgusting. <laughs> but maybe it was helpful because like the soybeans started fermenting, and possibly that was like really good for the healing process. Uh, I, you know what? Yeah, I'm gonna go with that. Let's go with that. Uh, yeah, it wasn't like the organic food craze at the time. This was like <laughs> 2002 or something. You like should have patented that. I should have patented that. <laughs> Sorry, let's take a break. Let's do it. Let's take a break. We're coming back with uh, Nicole LeBon from uh, Farnham Hill.
This is Brandon Hoy, co-owner of Roberta's, and you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.org. And we're back here on the morning after. Citing, cider making is to the northeast as bourbon is to the south. Nicole LeBon, cider maker for Farnham Hill in Lebanon, New Hampshire, is doing her part to keep the original American drink alive. Welcome to the morning after, Nicole. Hi, thanks for having me. So I want to know just right out the gate, how does one become a cider maker? On accident? <laughs> <laughs> That's legitimate. Um, I had started with beer. I was interested in fermentation. And uh, when we moved back east, it just happened that a friend knew Steve Wood, who had Poverty Lane Orchards and Farnham Hill Cider, and said, you have to go see this guy. He's keeping the land in agriculture. He's, he's doing this really fantastic stuff. Oh, and here's his cider. And I had had cider when I spent a semester abroad in France. And the Farnham Hill stuff was the first cider that I'd had in the United States. I thought, oh my God, this tastes like real cider. And so I was really excited. And um, Steve and I talked and he said, oh, sure, why don't you come see what we're doing? And um, so I wasn't looking really for a job and he was not looking to hire anybody. And we started tasting through the ciders and I was amazed by what I was tasting. It was so different and new to me and I loved it. And suddenly, at the end of the day, I had a job. So when you say real cider, what does that mean to you? To me, generally, it means something that's orchard-based. And if it's not orchard-based, at least it is made with apples that are chosen for the intent of fermentation. And so I think that that's one of the things that sets really good ciders apart. There's a lot of ciders that are made of apple concentrate, uh, the concentrate can come from anywhere in the world, China or Italy or Spain. And the ciders that we tend to think really highly of are those that are made either by the people who are growing the fruit themselves or who have a relationship with an orchard or apple growers and who are being really careful to choose the apples that taste very good after they've been fermented. Is there um, also a, like a flavor profile within that, you know, real cider style for you? I, I don't think in the real cider style there's a particular flavor profile. For the Farnham Hill flavor profile, uh, we really like acidity and we like a really nice tannic structure, um, sort of a, a broad background. And we like the acidity so that it sort of cuts through... And cleanses your palate at the end, and also it helps make it really food-friendly. So we find that to be the most appealing. So we're talking ciders with no residual sugar. Do you feel like, I'm, I'm assuming... Well, the ones that we make, we ferment all the way to dryness, so there's no residual sugar. Uh, some of the varieties that we do make, um, the semi-dry and some of our dooryard varieties, we and the farmhouse, we do do a little bit of um, return sugar too, just just a tiny bit. And so our stuff tends to be very, very dry. Um, the best way I can describe it is that we do sweetening the way most people salt their food. So when you salt your food, you do it to bring out the flavor of the food, but you don't want to taste the salt. And so that sort of idea, we, we want to bring forward the fruit and um, maybe round the flavors a little bit, but we don't want anything that's very, very sweet. And that varies from cider maker to cider maker. Everybody has their own idea about what kind of flavor profile they like. Um, because at Farnham Hill, we're apple growers first. We are focused on what kinds of things the 
cider apples can bring to us. And so that's where we get a lot of the great acidity and that's where we get a lot of the really nice tannins um, from using uh, bittersweet apple varieties and from bitter sharp apple varieties. Bittersweets taste exactly like the name. They are sweet and just as you're thinking, oh, that's a, that's a really nice apple, you get these amazing tannins and they come through and they're just bitter. Um, the apples themselves are completely unpalatable. You just can't eat them. They're awful. Um, but some of those varieties are things like Dabinet and Yarlington Mill, uh, Ellis Bitter and Major tend to have slightly rounder tannins. And then there's Bitter Sharps, and those are very tart apples, but with the same bitterness. So um, Red Streak is one of those, and uh, Kingston Black is probably the most famous. That's an English variety that actually you're, can be fermented on its own. You're kind of talking about this, right, or touching on this right now, but it says on your website uncommon apples <laughs> and i'm assuming you're naming those well, what, what makes them uncommon i'm talking about those varieties that i just listed are are apples that are are commonly known as cider apples and so uncommon apples are those that um it it was sort of the name that we developed at the orchard for the heirloom varieties that we we're beginning to sell because um steve wood was not only one of the first people who started growing a lot of cider fruit in the United States, but he also was fairly early on in the, you know, what's known now as sort of heirloom apples, um, bringing back a lot of varieties that had done very well historically and were fantastic eating apples and were not the three or four grocery store apples that, you know, people were able to find in the United States for a very long time. So we use a lot of apples that we refer to as uncommon apples, and um, those would be some... Isopa Spitzenberg uh, is one of our favorites. Gesundheit. <laughs> um, that was one that was reputed to have been Thomas Jefferson's favorite apple. Apparently he could not grow it at Monticello, but it grows really well in the Northeast. Uh, we love Wixen, which was developed in California as a cider apple. It's this very cute, tiny, bright, cheeky apple um, with this amazing, bright, bright acidity. And uh, I think it has a little bit of a lychee flavor to it when it's fermented. Um and some of the others that we use are Ashmead's Kernel and Golden Russet, which are great eating apples, but they also are really nice when they're fermented. Cool. And you also slightly touched on this as well, but you said something about like English style ciders. And I'm just wondering, what what is there a distinctive like New York style versus an English style? And if if you see it being categorized in that way, is there a way to kind of describe them? I know it's like probably pretty broad because there's so many different styles of cider. But. It is broad. I mean, England has a fairly bitter base to their um, cider varieties. There, We're waiting to see if there are regional cider variety, you know, different cider flavors that develop regionally in the United States. We think at this point it's a little bit too early to actually see some of those coming on. Um it sort of depends, too, on what apples people are using. And so I believe that as more and more cider makers have the ability to get to true cider fruit and add some tannins in, there's going to be a lot of changes in the cider taste profile and also the cider quality that you find in the United States. So in the Hudson River Valley, for example, there are a lot of people who have grown apples historically, but um, most of those currently are... Uh, what we consider to be, you know, eating or dessert apples, which don't always 
make the most complex cider. Um, Michigan is facing the same thing. A lot of these people, though, are beginning to grow apples that'll add a little bit of tannic structure and give it a little more body and a little more complexity. So the stuff that we're making in New Hampshire is more like a couple of cider makers in Virginia and in Michigan and on the West Coast, but more because they're using the same kind of cider fruit that we are. So, for example, we've been growing cider fruit for a long time. Steve's got a lot of horticultural experience with that. We've always given away a lot of budwood for grafting so that people can begin to grow the cider apples, and that has ramped up a lot in the last couple of years. So, you know, four or five years ago, we gave away a few hundred buds or whatever, and then a few years ago, it was a couple thousand, and I think this year we gave away, like, tens of thousands of bud to graft over. And so in sort of five, ten years' time, that fruit is going to start coming into bearing. And so more and more people will have the opportunity to use the apples that make the really fantastic cider. So I want to I wanna talk about the, the history of cider. Um, stylistically, what, uh, you know, our forefathers, I use my quote, my air <laughs> quotes there, um, you know, this was, this was a beverage that was throughout the Northeast and, you know, with the advent of Prohibition, did people, you know, they had these kind of tannic, bitter apples that they were making cider with, and then they planted the the sweet fruit for just consumption? Is that... That's essentially what happened. So Prohibition really changed the apple landscape in the United States. So the places that cider has had a constant presence, there are debates about, you know, how many thousands of years people have been fermenting apples and making cider. And in the United States... Early on, you know, there's the stories of Johnny Appleseed and um, the stories that people were drinking cider because it was actually safer at the low alcohol content than the water would have been at the time. Uh, But a lot of those apples, particularly the, the Johnny Appleseed ones, were planted from seed. And apples only come true to themselves if they're grafted. And so it's like apple seeds are like having kids. You don't quite know what you're going to get, even if you know what the parents are. And so um, before Prohibition, people could use any kind of apples that they found useful for cider making, the ones that, you know, turned out to be tannic or the ones that turned out to be really, really acidic, and that most apples that grow from seed don't taste very good to eat. And so they made better cider than they did eating apples. What happened with Prohibition was that there was a lot of pressure on the apple growers to grow apples that could be eaten rather than apples that could be fermented, and there wasn't any longer any market for the fermentable apples. So a lot of the orchards got um, either ripped out or grafted over, and that's why Americans recently have been starting our cider making with the dessert fruit, because it just the cider fruit was no longer there. And so that was also one of the reasons that cider has taken a long time to sort of come back after Prohibition, because when Prohibition ended, you could immediately plant a field of barley and have beer very shortly thereafter. But the apple trees take, you know, about 10 years to come to maturity in general. And so it it didn't really start picking up, even though there are these great stories about how pre-Prohibition a lot of uh, sparkling that sparkling beverage that mm-hmm. was sold as champagne, in fact, was cider that was made in New Jersey. Wow! <laughs> I want to know what what about 
apples um, allow them to be grown in in the Northeast. I mean, I I know very much about about growing grapes. I mm-hmm. mean, I don't know about growing grapes, but I've read about growing grapes mm-hmm. and I, I study growing about growing grapes. Um, and you know, we don't have this prevalent wine culture here, but we do have cider. What is it about apples that that really work in this area of the it's country? It's the cold. They really like the cold. So apples need. Um, a certain number of cooling hours when the trees are dormant in order to be able to be productive. And there's different varieties need different number of hours of being cold. But, you know, when, you, when you're talking to uh, winemakers, they're always talking about, oh, this is great. The, the latitude here is like France and we get these, you know, warm days and cool nights and that's perfect. And with the apples, some of that is still similar. I mean, you'll, you'll find there is some crossover in the growing areas, but the apples really like the cold weather that we get in the snowy Northeast, essentially. And so that's why um, all along the, you know, Eastern seaboard and further up North. And that's why Michigan and Washington state are all really great places for growing apples. But New York, I'm, I know that I've read at some point um, is the second I guess, highest in volume in terms of producing apples in the, in the United States, New York State? Mm-hmm. I believe it is. I believe it is right after Washington State. I mean, that's just, I feel like we never talk about that. You know, that's why it's great that we have things like New York Cider Week. That's exactly why Cider Week was started in New York, actually, yeah. was to, to start bringing more attention back to the growers, um, particularly in the Hudson River Valley. But, um, right, I mean, New York is traditionally, you guys have the Empire Apple that's named after here, and there's so many apple varieties that actually got started in New York State. And so it, you know, there was, people are are much more curious now about where their food comes from and if they're getting it locally and to find out about the growers. So New York Cider Week um, was started in connection with Glenwood as a way to really showcase apple growers and what they could do and the fact that cider was beginning to sort of creep into the conscience of people and so it's a good way to remember that behind cider or wine or or beer for that matter there is a farmer and there's somebody growing that food that's going to be fermented and I, I think it's um, that's a perfect segue because we kind of touched on this before in terms of like the struggle of the farmer. You know, we always think a lot about like the farmers who grow our food and how difficult it is to be a small farmer and produce foods. And, you know, we're very into like CSAs these days and supporting our local farmer markets. But we don't think about that as much in terms of our alcohol producers, like particularly cider. And I know that last year, um, around Cider Week, I was doing some research for Heritage Radio, and I found out that there was um, a bill that was going around. I, I, I mean, you can talk about this better, but just to mm-hmm. introduce it, there was some issue around what is class, what can be classified as cider, right. and there was some taxation issues. Yes, yeah. Can you speak to that and like kind of bring us up to date? Sure. It it has stalled, unfortunately. We're still trying to work on it. We're still trying to get a little bit of movement. Um, we had Chuck Schumer behind it. Go New York. Yeah. So um, we, uh, the what's happened is that if when you ferment apples um, to dryness, which is what a lot of cider makers do, you end up with an alcohol content of generally sort of 7 or 8%. The current federal guidelines for cider list 
cider as having a lower alcohol content than that number that you would normally get from fermenting apples. I believe it's somewhere in the 5 to 6% range. So we are trying to bring attention to the fact that that isn't really what most people are making when you ferment apples. And so the right now, so for example, um, at Farnham Hill, a lot of our stuff comes out at an average of 7.5%. So we have to pay a wine tax, which is considerably higher than the cider tax is. And so our argument is that you can actually encourage more production in cider making and more people making better cider with bubbles so they don't have to pay a champagne tax, which is really horrendous. Um, And that that way there can be more producers who can, you know, in many ways it helps protect farmers because everybody needs a little bit of room to grow in terms of flexibility of what they can do with their product. Um, You know, think dairy farmers moving to cheese and things like that, some kind of value-added product. If you're an apple farmer and you maybe want to keep the orchard in the family, one of the ways to do that is to have somebody start making cider. And that is much more viable if there is not a high taxation rate, both for the cider makers to pay, but Also, you guys are paying it when you buy it. And so it's sort of kind of a win-win for everybody. Hopefully, actually, the more you get, then, uh, you know, if any legislators are listening, uh, you get more revenue. So that's that's sort of, you know, what we're trying to make realize. It's stalled. Yep. Um, I don't know what the issue surrounding that is or, you know, what... I'm afraid the, I do not know is, the specifics. But is there is there anything <laughs> that we can do? I mean, as listeners, as consumers, uh, you know, you can. You yes, actually, um, this would be a great thing to contact your senators about or the House. Um, like I said, you know, Chuck Schumer had been behind it. Um, you can contact any of your um, of your representatives and let them know that this is something that is of interest to you and matters to you. And yeah, I mean, this it's, is an it's, election year. You might actually get somewhere. That's right. <laughs> and, it, and it is truly a local issue. And it really is. And yeah. it's an agrarian issue. It's exactly. not just about, you know, I want to drink more. I mean, it's... <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got to be careful about how you spin it, but yes. Well, well, <laughs> no, yeah. no, of course it is. Yeah, I yeah. mean, we should, we should, as New Yorkers, as people living in New York State, I mean, there's a lot of pride associated mm-hmm. with being that, you know, like, second highest apple producing region. And, and it gives those growers a lot more flexibility about right. what they can do with their future. Yes. Yeah. Very important. Everybody call your senator or your congressman. <laughs> and drink more cider. And drink more cider, for sure. Yeah. So you're here for Cider Week. Yes, I am. What, uh, what sort of things are you, are you involved in while... Uh, while here? Well, um, we're trying to do a lot of things. There's a lot of really great uh, dinner pairings that restaurants are doing. Uh, EC in Brooklyn is doing some. Uh, Back 40 is doing a number of things, both with apples and with cider. Um, you know, you guys are doing the show, which is mm-hmm. great. So thanks and, to Heritage Radio yeah, Network and Roberta's. Heritage is a big supporter of Cider Week. Absolutely. Yeah, you guys Especially, have been there right from the beginning. Um, Jimmy Carbone. Yes, Jimmy's got all kinds of stuff going on. Yeah, he's so he's great. Pioneer. You know, go go buy his bar. And um, also we're going to be doing tastings at um, wine shops. I know there's some set up for some Whole Foods, uh, both in Manhattan and in Brooklyn. And there are, you know, there's check with your with your wine shop or your beer shop because cider actually at this time can be sold in both of those places and so go and ask and also probably the the very best thing to find out is um just by checking the website so that's cider week 
NYC, I think is what it is. CyderbeekNYC.com. I want to know as a, you know, as we close up this interview, what you think as a, as a cider maker, who you would, what, what style you would rather be associated with? Do you, I feel like the, the big support immediately is from, from people who are into beer, right? Currently. Do you mm-hmm. feel like you should be in the same realm as wine or I, I imagine I know what you're going to say, but I, I want to know what you think. Well, so first of all, I want to make a clarification, which is that cider making is very, very much like making wine. It is not brewing. And so that's actually something I've been seeing in a lot of literature lately is references to cider breweries and things like that. We call ourselves cideries, but the process for making cider is the same as wine in that you take the fruit, you crush the fruit and you ferment the juice. And um, there's no heat involved, and so that's where it's very similar to wine. Um, I think it's great, all the different people who particularly come from beer backgrounds who are making a lot of different styles of cider to be appealing to a broader range of people. Um, But I also think, like I had said earlier, that the cider makers who are really concentrating on the fruit and where it's coming from are the ones who are doing some of the, the best jobs that I find to be the most interesting, the most complex. Um, I don't know that I really have a cider that we, you know, a style that we want to be associated with. Once upon a time, because we were growing English cider apples and French cider apples, we, we sort of based it on English cider styles, but we realized as we were going on that even the apples, you know, like the Kingston Black Apple, didn't grow the same. And so the whole terroir thing really comes into it. And so we realized at some point that what we were doing was we were making an American-style cider. And so just because we were using English apples and French apples, um, they were not grown there. And so we really, that wasn't really coming through for us. And so we, we decided that what we should do is make the best cider that we could out of the apples that we could. And so um, that's why it's so interesting to try different ciders from different regions because, as I said, there's not regional styles developing yet, but there definitely is the echo of the terroir in those apples and in the ciders. Well, I hope going forward with things like New York Cider Week, um, you know, we will look at cider as cider and not as I beer hope so and too. not as wine. Yes, there's, it's, it's that third category. So our, um, our big goal is that in the future, uh, you know, if you go to somebody's house, they will have a good beer to serve, they'll have some good wine to serve, and they'll have a good cider to serve. Here, here. I like it. Cheers. We're going to take a break here on the morning after. We're going to come back with the morning after quiz. Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Are you a locavore? Our Northeast regional forager for Whole Foods Market sure is. She spends her time traveling around the New York City metro area sourcing the best new or interesting artisanal and handcrafted local products for our purchasing teams at the local store level. 
Part of our commitment to our local suppliers includes assisting them with the process of getting their products sold at our stores. Whether it's suggesting packaging designs, pricing, or distribution methods, she's helping some of the area's best new products reach savvy shoppers at Whole Foods Market stores. Today, New York. Tomorrow, the world. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. Hi, I'm Reggie Watts, and you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.org. And we're back here on the morning after we've been talking to Nicole LeBon from Farnham Hill Cider in uh, Lebanon, Lebanon, in Lebanon, New Lebanon, Hampshire. New Hampshire. Um, and it's time for the morning after quiz. <laughs> I hope you're ready. <laughs> Nicole, you are a cider maker for Farnham Hill in Lebanon, New Hampshire, spelled L-E-B-A-N-O-N, which is the same spelling as the country of Lebanon. Yes, it is. Nicole, today's morning after quiz is about the country Lebanon. <laughs> oh, dear. All right. I Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready to embarrass myself. Sure. Yeah. No, it's it. not about embarrassing yourself, but I <laughs> will tell you, Sari and I are still on a streak. No one has gotten 100% on the morning after quiz. Okay. So um, just a little bit of pressure. Uh, yeah, just weave it. Yeah. <laughs> out of two out of three. <laughs> Question one. Which ancient maritime culture called present-day Lebanon home? Is it A, the Phoenicians, B, the Byzantines, or C, the Mesopotamians? I'm going to go with B. You're going to go with B, the Byzantines. Yes, I am. You know what? Actually, it was A, the Phoenicians. That was the other one I was thinking of, but of course that doesn't count now because that's, you know, I can't erase it and rescribe it. You know, you can't. No, no. (laughs) Unlike Wait, Wait, and Tell Me, we don't give hints. Yeah, you didn't. I was like, I'll go with B. (laughs) I will say growing up in Phoenix, it's very ironic that we were also called Phoenicians. Oh, that's funny. There is no maritime culture there (laughs) at all. We don't build boats or anything. There's Wait, you know, no you, water. You mean your sushi wasn't local? <laughs> no, it was from somewhere else. California? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I mean, away? I mean, I always say if California snaps off uh, the states one day, you know, we'll have beachfront property. But that's kind of morbid to, to think about. Arizona Bay. Exactly. I can't wait for it. I can't wait for it. All right. Question two. Which of these is the actual name for a mountain range in Lebanon? Is it A, the anti-Lebanon mountain range? Is it B, not Lebanon mountain range, pronounced not? Or is it C, seriously Lebanon mountain range? <laughs> <laughs> One of these is actually the name of One a mountain range. One of them's actually true? Yeah, I wouldn't lie to you. Anti. So you're going to choose A, anti-Lebanon mountain range. Um... Say the other one, then. Not- B, not Lebanon mountain range, pronounced note. Or I'm, C, I'm gonna, seriously Lebanon mountain range. I'm going to go B, because it sounds like it's got a pronunciation. Let's go with B. B, note Lebanon mountain range. It is note. Uh, no, it is A, anti-Lebanon <laughs> mountain range. Oh, I had it. Oh, you for it. No, no. I'm going down in flames. Yeah, Jesse, <laughs> okay. Jesse made that pronunciation. Yeah, up. that's totally made up. But <laughs> that was a good. That was a good red herring. I like that. Well, the I mean, I will say that the Becca Valley, which is famous for growing grapes, mm-hmm. Chateau Musar, uh, sources its grapes from there. Um, 
that is actually between the Lebanon mountain range and the anti-Lebanon mountain range. So that's pretty confusing. Oh, I will say. It's so wow. self-effacing. I, 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 like, I like to think that I know things about the world, but apparently I do not. I just learned no, it from you Wikipedia. Do. You just, you Don't just worry. Know I mean, I just learned it from Wikipedia. It's fine. Yeah. Uh, so who knows if this is actually true. All right. Question three mm-hmm. for okay. all the marbles. For the gold. <laughs> yeah. Due to the influx of tourists from this country, there has been a rise in what type of cuisine? Is it A, North Korean? Is it B, Scandinavian? So hot in NYC, so hot in Lebanon. Or is it C, Japanese cuisine? See, I was wondering if it was going to be sushi. Uh, you know, sushi has been a theme in this show. I'm going to go for sushi for the Japanese cuisine. Japanese cuisine is correct. Oh, I got one. Well done. Oh, I redeemed myself a tiny bit. You did. I think, you did. Yeah, I think they're like 10 years away from Scandinavian cuisine, but it'll make it there. You know, everybody oh, yeah. gets on the Nordic track. I contributed North Korean. I like that. Well, that was the, that was the other one that was the red herring, right? Was I was like, oh. Korea's come up today too. It was North nope. Korean, though, so. but no, it was the tourist thing yep. that stopped Not the North so Korea. Yeah. Oh man, yeah, yeah, totally. Well, Nicole, thank you so much for being on the morning after today, and thank you for being such a good sport with our quiz. I, I, the quiz was fun. You're welcome. Thank you very much for having me. It was great to be here. Do you I, go, oh, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was just asking if if uh, Farnham Hill has a website or Twitter. Oh, or, yeah. yes, we do. Yes, we are at farnhamhillciders.com all jammed together f a r n u m um and also we are poverty lane orchards um dot com but poverty lane orchards is the name of the orchard where we grow the apples for farm hill cider they're all the same place but that's that's how to find us um we have you know facebook and twitter and all that kind of good stuff and so yeah come find us shoot us an email um and come pick apples great and check out cider week nyc to find out all the cool cider events going on right now. Absolutely. And I will say Farnham Hill is doing really well in the New York City market. There's a lot of craft beer bars and um, and shops that, that carry you guys. So and we are very grateful. We love to be down here. And um, I like having an opportunity to come visit. Thanks for being here. Drink cider, people. If you want to follow Sari and I, you can uh, check out our Instagram at The Morning After on Heritage Radio. Or you can follow us on Twitter at TMA on HRN. See you next week. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.